0: Otherwise,
1: on SAFM. Thanks so much, Asunder. Well, as you heard there, you're listening to Otherwise Talking Women here on SAFM. The team with me in the studio today, Hazel Makazani and Derek Fordyce, and I'm Kim Winter. Well, on the show today, in the second half, creativity coach and thinking practitioner Hilda Gerze has teamed up with local musician Tina Skow to host voice and song workshops here in Cape Town. We speak with Hilda about the power of voice as a tool for self-expression. Then Karen Moss's son was born with bilateral clubfoot. Challenged with little support and information available in South Africa, Karen travelled to the States to find help. She found it in Dr. Ponsetti, who not only helped her fix her son's feet but also motivated her to start her own charity steps. Karen joins us to speak about her journey and what she does, uh, or the work she does here in South Africa in light of World Clubfoot Day yesterday. But first, Ubu Bela is a mental health training institute working in an Alexander township in Johannesburg. Their various programs and projects provide psychological support for children under the age of seven, as well as for their parents, their caregivers, and teachers. We hear more about their parent-infant program shortly. So that's the lineup today, but first, a little bit of What's News. An image of a woman in red being sprayed with tear gas at one of the protests has gone viral, becoming a symbol for female protesters in the anti-government demonstrations in Istanbul. That photo encapsulates the essence of this protest, the violence of the police against peaceful protesters uh, and what they, people just trying to protect themselves and what they value, says a female math student, Ezra, speaking from one of the centers of this week's protests. In one graphic copy, plastered on walls, the woman appears much bigger than the policeman. The more you spray, the bigger we get, reads the slogan next to it. The United States and European Union, as well as human rights groups, have expressed concern about the heavy-handed action of Turkish police against protesters. And the large number of very young women taking part in the protests, which began on Friday evening, is notable. They belong apparently to the ranks of young, articulate women who believe they have something to lose under the current Turkish government. Many of the women point to new abortion laws as a sign that the Prime Minister, who has advised Turkish women to have three children, wants to roll back women's rights and push them into more traditional, pious roles. I respect women who wear the headscarf, uh, that is their right, but I also want my rights to be protected, said Ezra. I'm not a leftist or an anti-capitalist. I want to be a businesswoman and live in a free Turkey. Well, we'll post that photograph of the lady in red, a photo that's become a symbol of the protests in Turkey, on our own Facebook page, that's Otherwise on SAFM. And remember, too, that you can send us a message, comments, or ideas on Otherwise at (laughs) SAFM.co.za. This June,
2: Classic Field Magazine has everything you require from South Africa's number one arts, culture and lifestyle magazine. Are you headed to the National Arts Festival? Then this issue is essential reading for you. Read exclusive features on the latest in music, visual art, theatre, cinema and literature. Get the June issue of Classic Field Magazine, available now at selected newsagents and bookshops. Find out more at
1: www.classicfeel.co.za.
2: The Standard Bank Jazz Festival kicks off in Grahamstown on the 27th of June. SAFM is proud once again to be the official radio partner. Join us for 10 days of amazing jazz and blues, featuring Mikasa, Esavan Naidu, and dozens more local and international jazz superstars. Also featuring the 2013 Young Artist Award winner for jazz, Shane Cooper. SAFM will be there to bring you some amazing performances and keep you in the loop with all the backstage action. But there's nothing quite like being there, so book now at CompuTicket and head to Grahamstown for the Standard Bank Jazz Festival. Remember to catch SABC 2s daytime primetime shows this afternoon. We start the day with Relate at 12pm where we find ways of mending broken bonds. Next is Days of Our Lives at 1pm. The Forrester family rules from their stylish mansion in Beverly Hills on The Bold and the Beautiful at 2pm. Catch the community of Hillside on the repeat of Siewendelan at 2.30pm. Lies that Bind brings along the drama and intrigue of a Kenyan family at 3 p.m. In the repeat of Mubangu, enjoy the cultural conflicts that take place at 3.30 p.m.
0: Only on SABC2. Otherwise, on SAFM.
1: Well, starting off today, Catherine Frost, she's the head of the Parent Infant Program, which I believe is part of the uh, Ububele Institute. She's an educational psychologist, and she's joining us now on the line. Hi, Catherine.
3: Hello. Good afternoon to you. How are you? Fine, thanks.
1: Yourself? Good. I'm good. Thank you. Catherine, am I right in saying that the Parent Infant Program is run through the Ububele Institute?
3: That's absolutely right. We actually call it the Ububele Educational and Psychotherapy Trust, And um, the parent-infant, our project, the parent-infant project is one of four um, projects that looks at um, the mental health of children of the age of seven, um, their families, and their caregivers.
1: Before we actually speak about your program as such, maybe you could give us a bit of an overview, a bit of a history of uh, Ububele?
3: Absolutely. Ububele was started 12 years ago by two clinical psychologists that were very involved in the struggle in our country. And I think... um, Their union really started in 1994 as a couple, and they wanted to provide a way to give back to the country post-liberation. And um, they thought that the best investment they could make, making use of their clinical skills, was to invest in mental health. And in terms of mental health, they really focused on children of seven and and below um, because this is the most important time in terms of preventative work. So they decided to start a center, this trust, the Ububele Educational and Psychotherapy Trust, with a real focus on service, delivering a service to the underprivileged populations uh, of of Alexandria in particular, and then providing an excellent training to both professionals, paraprofessionals, as well as lay counselors in mental health. So it really has got um, a, a dual focus of training and service. Um, In this very early stage.
1: Okay, there seems to be a lot of focus on on physical health, a lot of funding being pumped into looking after people physically, um, improving our medical um, infrastructure. But mental health doesn't seem to be able, or maybe I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem to have that much attention paid to it.
3: Absolutely, mental health hasn't made uh, is not um, adequately on the agenda of. certainly of, uh, of early childhood development, even in, in uh, you know, later development. And specifically, my project looked at uh, the age almost prenatally, so when at conception up until the age of two, and this is a, definitely not sufficiently on the agenda, um, even in terms of physical health we've got um maternity uh, morbidity levels that are rising in this country um and we know that the link between mental health and physical health is so finely tuned and and i suppose we are are trying to be advocates for the mental health component of this crucial stage
1: mm. so so tell us a little bit more about the program you run then because you you say you're working with very very um small children and and their mothers obviously. absolutely yeah
3: um, our project is called the, the Ububele Umplezane Parent-Infant Project, and Umplesane is an Nguni term that refers to the time um, postpartum when a, when a woman has given birth to her baby and the female members of her family kind of come to look after the, the basic needs within that woman's home so that to give her time to bond with her baby. So we thought this was a very symbolic choice of a, of a name for our project. We, in a way, would like to look after the, um, the, the psychological, emotional needs of a mother so that she's able to bond adequately with her baby. And really it is bonding and attachment theory that drives our project because we know that if there's a secure enough attachment between a mother and her child which is established in the first year of life, this is the most um, beneficial byproduct of any other investment that we could make.
1: Okay. So how do you go about doing that? How do you provide a space for mothers to bond with their infants?
3: Over the years, we've developed a range of projects. Um, At the moment, we run a a project called the Baby Mat Project where we have um, uh, professionals and lay people offering a service at clinics within Alex. Uh, we really encourage mothers to observe their babies, to um, to get joy from their babies. Joyfulness is such an undervalued uh, concept about if you, can get, if you can provide pleasure for your child and your child provides pleasure for you, this is really a, a conduit towards spending more time together. The quality of the time that is spent together is more important. And in fact, uh, neuroscience is showing that that uh, a strong relationship fueled by joyfulness, for example, increased brain development um, and neurological development. So the Baby Mat Project is one. We then have a, a very uh, – uh, we're now trying to research a home-based visiting project where trained home-based carers go into homes of women antenatally and then uh, visit the mom when her baby is born, really focusing on building the relationship between a mother and her child. We've then uh, got specialist services that, come, that follow on from that, for example, parent-infant psychotherapy, um, groups for moms and babies, and all of them have a focus of of improving the b- quality of bonding and attachment between a mother and her baby mm.
1: Do you think that um, the breakdown of the family unit or, or the community has, has an influence on moms not being able to form that bond properly with, with their young ones just after they're born What, what's, what do you feel is, is preventing moms from having that time um, that bonding time with their little ones?
3: I think it's many things. I think, in particular, the community of Alexandra is, a, is, is quite a transient um, community. Many women, many families come to Johannesburg in search of work. Um, the census has really shown how radically Johannesburg has increased in the last few years. And um, as a result, kind of family structures have been disrupted. The whole umkezane concept is really one of that, that other, fa- other women, female family members will help a couple raise their child and we've got many, many mothers that are raising their children either without their mothers and in many cases without their spouses. Mm. So raising a child on one's own puts that, is incredibly stressful. In the context of that, we've then got huge levels of unemployment um, where mothers are struggling to put food on the table. So these kind of the family system, I think that the context, as well as uh, I don't think that enough is being done from an advocacy perspective that by the Department of Health and, and Social Development that women are supported in this crucial time so that the relationship is valued enough. Mm-hmm. That's certainly what, we, what we've seen over these years.
1: You, you mentioned spouses there, and I was going to ask you how you facilitate, or do you facilitate um, bonding with the, the father as well? Do you work with, with um, parents as a, as a couple, or do you only focus on, on the moms?
3: We absolutely focus on, on, on fathers as well, yeah. where, the, where fathers are present. And, in fact, we, we run several groups at Ububele. One of our adjunct projects is working with groups, and we are running a, 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 We have run Groups for fathers over the years, really to highlight the importance of of fathers, fathers, and to, I think to re to empower fathers to become more involved in their children's lives, you know, with with young children, with babies. In our home visiting project we encourage our home visitors to include the fathers in the visits as far as possible whenever they are present we we grab onto them when we can
1: mm. do you, do you think uh, are people responsive are they looking for this kind of um, support or do you have to really educate people and 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 show why this support structure would be important to them in interestingly
3: Alex? people are very receptive um, in we're doing uh, on our second phase of our home visiting project we've begun doing some recruiting and the numbers have, have almost overwhelmed our capacity I think this really points to how mothers are feeling alone in the, in the final trimester of their pregnancy and how desperate they are for uh, I suppose a, a woman to walk alongside them or a somebody to walk alongside them in this very tumultuous time mm-hmm. um, and indeed the, uh, the Baby Mat Project at the clinics, we've had, we've had good steady numbers, people are accessing the service, mental health is is in the minds of yeah of of, of people without a doubt. Mm. Specifically, psychotherapy um, is would be a final referral point, but certainly this primary health mental health intervention of the home visiting and the maths with clinics has been very well received.
1: The home visits and, and the mats, um, you, you also mentioned that you, you're training lay people as well. So who, who are these women that are coming forward to be these support structures um, for, for mothers or expecting mothers?
3: Uh, we, we went, Uhu Bela went through quite a, a stringent process of, of, of recruitment. We recruited women from the, the community of Alexandra, and these are experienced mothers. Um, that they, they, All of them had to be mothers. And um, okay. from one way or another, they've had some degree of experience um, working in non-governmental organisations, um, and we've taken them through quite a long process of training here. But, but of course, I'm not a I'm not a resident of Alexandra, so in a way, we've been able to provide our psychological training. These women bring a knowledge of their community and uh, not only kind of language. Multi, multilingualism, but I think multi-contextual knowledge as well. So it's a real um, merge of psychology and knowledge of context. Mm-hmm. Slightly older women, women with gravitas within their communities, and um, we've had we've had a lot of success with expectant young mothers opening their doors to these women coming in. Um, You know, allowing them into their shacks, into their homes, and sharing these crucial months with their babies with, with our home visitors.
1: It sounds like in the process you're creating this really quite powerful network of women in Alex as well. Yes, indeed. Mm. Um, and you, we were speaking, I mean, there's so many things that, that Uberbele does. Um, you've, you've touched on them. Um, but one of the things that you said right at the beginning is the importance of tapping into the psychology of a child under the age of seven. Why is that such a critical stage and why haven't we been paying attention to it or have we? And how do you do that?
3: I th- uh, my personal opinion is that I think we've been crisis managing for some time in our country. I think we've got the uh, terrible, terrible wounds of apartheid, and I think we've been trying to patch up wounds, and I think that in that, we have not been able to be forward-thinking enough in terms of preventing wounds, and um, so much has happened already within the first two years of life. And. And the, for the plasticity of the brain, the, the the impact that early intervention can have, reduces the older we get. So I suppose that's why our project really is wanting to focus less on patching up later when psychological disorders and, and inequalities have been really cemented and get in earlier so that we can challenge inequalities before they manifest in, in something that's difficult to repair. Mm.
1: So how do you, how do you do that? How do you work with children under the age of seven um, in terms of their mental health?
3: By talking well, the first one would be by talking directly to babies. Many people think that we are nuts when we say, "Well, no, we work directly with babies." Yes, babies are receptive right from the first uh, moments of birth, and um, some of the most powerful interventions. Uh, in infant mental health, have been around in those very early hours and days of showing a mother and a father the amazing capacities that a baby has to connect. Um, and people's uh, uh, there are staggering results of very short-term interventions just by showing showing how a baby is responsive to a human being. Um, babies are, look cute not just because it's a quirk of fate, but because it encourages us to look at them more. Our, our pupils dilate. We almost fall in love, and if that can happen, um, the trajectory is set for a far better prognosis.
1: Mm. So it's really right from the beginning, from when that baby is born.
3: Even before. We are talking to mothers already about, um, in third trimester of pregnancy, what do you think your baby's experience is of being inside your womb? And at first, a couple of mother 's lava doesn 't think we are mad, but um then I sort of think about what it might feel like, how dark it must be, what is a baby hearing, and uh, we can psycho educate a little bit about how a baby can already hear your voice from three months' gestation, um, and that your baby's going to you and your baby together will signal that the beginning of the birth process, that a baby's a far more active participant in a relationship than just a kind of a byproduct of. Of conception.
1: Yes, yeah. So, so um, women in Alex, can how can they access you if, they, if they're pregnant or just about to give birth? How do they actually find you or how do you find them?
3: Um, well, well the Ulpobele services is at four of the, the main clinics at, um, in Alex so any of the maths women are welcome to access. We are based in Kew just adjacent to Alex as well um, many women in, in Alex are, are familiar with us. Mm. Um, with where we are and who we are. And then there's our, our um, website as well, which yeah, which is www.ububele.org.
1: Mm. And the training, you, what areas do you cover um, in terms of training? We've got a training
3: called the Introduction to Parent-Infant Psychotherapy for, for Psychologists um, that has been running now for about six years. Mm. Um, and we really look at... Uh, at infant mental health, um, intersubjectivity, which is what I was talking about before, about how relationships are built between, mother, between parents and, and baby, that a baby is a far more vocal and active participant in the building of that relationship, and then training how to actually work with and talk through and to babies. We've also then got a, a training course for lay people called Working with a Parent-Infant Relationship, and in that training, we, we focus a lot on the power of observation. Of if we spend the time to just watch uh, what a baby is doing, to wonder, to think about why the baby is doing that, and have that inform how we then respond to the baby. Um, those are the two. Those are the two primary trainings at the moment. And then we've just completed, as I've mentioned and referred to a lot, the home visiting. Mm. Um, training, which is very specifically including those uh, observation skills, how to intervene with a parent and a baby, as well as then you know the the etiquette of entering into someone's home, the respectfulness, etc. Mm.
1: Do you rely uh, solely on funding? Is it a self-sustainable project? How how do you keep running?
3: Yeah, fund, the funding environment is incredibly bad at the moment. Mm. So at the moment, we really are struggling. It's um, we're very grateful to our loyal funders that have stuck, through us, stuck with us through lean times, but we're totally dependent on funding. Um, we are tentatively optimistic about talking to the Department of Health, and um, uh, we, we are looking forward to a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. But funding is always a struggle, so I suppose that's a little bit of a punt for anyone interested <laughs> in what we do.
1: Do, do you take on pro bono psychologists? Do you have any mentoring Structures um, in in place
3: yes, we do absolutely. We offer an internship program um for we'll have we've had four um, intern psychologists this year we'll have another four next year. Um, so we do have a that kind of professional training component as well as a pre-intern mentorship program, which is really for students that have got a postgraduate students but that are in need of an extra mentoring year or of extra experience, some work experience before a master's program. Um, Absolutely. So we invested in, in developing the professional talent of our country as well.
1: And Catherine, are you only working in Alex? Or are you in contact with other programs? Do you do collaborations? At the moment, we, we are based largely
3: in Alex. Um, we've done some training. I, I've, I haven't mentioned some of the other projects. There is so much. So for those of you who should go on the website, but yeah. we have branched into some training in Limpopo, and we go into the Eastern Cape um, for some training at the end of this month. Um, I suppose in a way the last 10 years has, re- has really been a pilot within Alex, but ultimately the goal is replicating um, the services that we're offering here, researching them robustly so that we can demonstrate to our funders and to colleagues um, the credentials of what we're doing um, and eventually yeah to, we would very much like to be national
1: because you do have a preschool now and I have a sense that it's it's a lot of the work that you do centers around around the preschool indeed
3: yeah we've've we've, the, the the preschool kind of is the the lifeblood of our organization um yeah we've got we've got sixty um, children under the ages of six within our nursery school, and
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You'd like to roll that out uh, nationwide, I'm sure, as well. Catherine Frost, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to give out the details if anybody would like to find out more because, as you said, there is a lot more that uh, you guys do. But thank you for sharing uh, more on your parent and infant program. Thanks for coming on to Otherwise. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Well, that was Catherine Frost. She's the head of the parent-infant program that's run through Ububele. And uh, as you heard there, there's lots going on uh, in Alex, and they're also trying to branch out as well. There's preschools and uh, different community projects that they um, they do training as well, training with lay people, training with young psychologists. Um, so if you want to find out more, you can visit ububele.org. That's ububele.org. Dot org well still to come after the news headlines we have a bit of fun and play with the power of voice as a tool for self-expression and discovery so that's coming up just after this because it's just gone 130 and it's time for the news headlines with Asunder thanks Asunder while well, you're listening to otherwise talking woman here on SAFm and I'm Kim winter and we are into the second half of uh, otherwise here and uh Karen Moss, she's sitting opposite me in the studio today. Her son was born with bilateral clubfoot and challenged with little support and information available in South Africa. Karen travelled to the States to find help, and she found it in Dr. Ponsetti, who not only helped to fix her son's feet but also motivated her to start her own charity, Steps. It's so lovely to have you in studio. Thanks for having me. Right, maybe I think we should start with you taking us back to the beginning, your story. Okay, well my son was born 10 years ago in 2003
2: and I didn't know until he was born that he had club feet, it, was, it wasn't diagnosed, so it was a huge shock. And we followed the protocol of treatment at the time, which was surgery for over 80% of children, which was quite radical surgery, opening up the foot, moving pins around and the long-term prognosis would have been um, scar tissue, arthritis, possibly problems in the joints and the hips and the knees. Um, and I, by pure luck and Um, serendipity I suppose found this amazing 89 year old Spaniard who was in an orthopedic surgeon working in Iowa and he had developed this technique 50 years before to gradually and gently correct the club foot by using serial casts so every three to five days he would change the cast and reposition the foot by the end of four to six weeks and every just about every club foot is straight. From that and there's there's no surgery required. The only surgery that is required is a very little short um, slip the back of the heel which can often be done under local anesthetic as it was for my son and I contacted him by email not even knowing if he was still practicing because I'd read that he was developed in the 50s and he answered me and I, I phoned and he said well can you come when can you come I'll fix your son's feet so of course you know in between panic and um, yeah. <laughs> and happiness, we managed to get together and fly across um, to Iowa, my husband Steve and Alex, my son and I. Alex was 10 weeks old by then. He'd had eight casts in, in Johannesburg which were unsuccessful and he'd already been scheduled for surgery. We went to Iowa, met Dr. Ponsetti and I knew straight away that we'd made the right choice because the whole experience was just so much more calming. It was very centred around the mother and and um calming the baby and explaining everything to me, what was going to happen. And uh, literally, uh, when the first cast had been taken off five days later, I was astounded by the amazing um, change in his foot already. And within two more casts, his feet were straight. So I got home, cancelled the operation that he'd been scheduled for and told the doctor that his feet were straight, um, what had happened when I was in America, I asked Dr. Ponseti, if you've been doing this since the 1950s, why did I have to fly all the way here? Why aren't there doctors doing it in South Africa? So he said that I was the first um, South African that had been to his clinic, um, and he, suggested he, he said that he was a great believer in the power of, of um, parents, and especially mothers, in knowing what was right for their babies and the drive that mothers have to get the best treatment for their babies. And he said, well, you're going to have to go back to South Africa and take my method there. So (laughs) I came back with my child with straight feet and no medical um, or NGO experience whatsoever. And that was 10 years ago. And I'm pleased to say that I've had great support from various people, including the medical community. Mm -hmm. We had our first training, which I organized in 2006, and brought um, three orthopedic surgeons from Europe, America, and South America to train our doctors. And... um, it's now the um, approved method in the country. It's been endorsed by the South African Pediatric um, Orthopaedics Association. And what makes me extremely proud is that next week we're flying to Gaborone, and I'm taking the method there with doctors that I trained in 2006. Fantastic. So we're spreading it into the region. Um, okay. And next after that will be in Namibia. Um, and when I see the patients and the treatment that they're getting compared to what they had in the past, there Mm. are challenges, but it's just so um, gentle and um, effective that it really is, I'm really pleased that
1: it it has gone this far already. So it wasn't only that Dr. Ponsetti looked at you as a mother and a person, not just as a victim or a patient, but this little little one in trouble, but um, his method was completely different to what what's been done, but it sounds like, on, on this continent anyway.
2: Yes. Um, um, ironically, it was
1: already available
2: in Uganda and Malawi because two doctors okay. had taken it there, but it wasn't available in South Africa. They had started it about two years before I found Dr. Ponsetti in Uganda. Um, and I think the difference was, first of all, when he had the treatment in South Africa, it was only one person doing it. With the Ponsetti method, there's a doctor and an assistant and um, the mother concentrates on calming the baby down and making sure they don't cry during casting. It doesn't hurt the baby, but it's like all babies will scream if you put them in the bath, scream if they yeah. take their clothes off. Mm. You know, so it's, it's a way of, they advise you to take your baby hungry to the casting so that you keep them distracted. Whereas the first um, casting we had, I was part of it. I had to hold my baby's knee and pull his toe, and I mean, he was seven days old. It's, mm. it's quite stressful for and a mother to, well. to do that, and mm. the baby was screaming and he was never calmed or comforted, it was just a much more um, holistic and, and easier experience for me, comparing the two, having had both.
1: Mm. And in South Africa, is there a large number of, of babies being born with clubfoot? And what exactly are the causes of clubfoot? Well, they're still trying to work on what the actual
2: causes are. There's been a lot of studies in America and in England and Scotland as well. Um, But no one has come up with a definitive cause for clubfoot. It's just classed as environmental and genetic combination. Um, It does run in some families, but then there'll be an isolated incident. Twice as many boys and girls have clubfoot, and more than half of them have uh, patients have both club feet. Sometimes you can have one club foot. It's normally about 65% are bilateral, which is what my son was. And in South Africa, it's interesting to note that we have the second highest incidence in the world. Us and of uh, Southern African and East African region In fact, sub-Saharan Africa has got the second highest of um, clubfoot incidence. The highest is in Polynesia. Um, We don't know why as well, and the lowest is in Japan. But the world average is is about 1 in 750 to 1 in 1,000, and we are 2 per 1,000 minimum, sometimes 3, depending on what studies you read. So there's a huge need for it in in this population. Mm -hmm. And I would say that 90% of patients are in the state clinics, Um, And they do get free um, treatment because they're under the age of five for clubfoot. But it can vary from hospital to hospital, you Mm -hmm. know, depending on who's available, what staff complements they have and that type of thing.
1: Can you identify that your baby's got clubfoot quite easily? I mean, what are the signs? Yeah, it is quite easy. It
2: can be picked up um, in utero before the baby's born. Mm -hmm. If you have sort of high-tech x-rays, I had them and and they didn't pick it up. But what normally will, sometimes a a, a child has got toes pointing in, so people think it's a club foot. It's not because that that's only quite flexible. Club foot is quite stiff, and it's it is is not just from being cramped in in utero. It's actually a deformity. And what happens is, in the second trimester, the foot starts to turn in, so that the ankle's almost upside down, and the foot is turned over, um, and you can see it visibly. Um, and if you try and push it push the foot gently into position, it'll only go about halfway to straight. You can't push it all the way out. And some kids, it won't even go that far. So it is a stiff, um, there's a lot of stiffness to it, and it's like the ankle bones have been twisted over, um, and it's quite easy to see okay. if you know what you're looking for. <laughs> so.
1: And that's part of what you, you're doing with steps is, is education, if I hear yes. what you say right. Yes, we've got a very
2: yes. strong focus now that we've got met the goal of getting the, method accepted in South Africa because parents are so important in this because what actually happens is once the the feet have been corrected and they're in position it's up to the parents to make sure that their child has to sleep in a foot brace which is um, shoes attached to a bar till the age of four it's a huge commitment I always give talks about this that doctors are actually responsible for such a small part of this and most of the time the responsibility is on the mother to make sure the feet don't relapse And what we find is in busy clinics there isn't a lot of information available and there isn't a lot of time available to explain it to the mothers. So part of our program that we're working on, we have um, donors from America, another organization also focused on Club Foot called Miracle Feet. They've given us funding and what we do is um, we're putting together brochures and pamphlets and things that mothers can take home with them, but also we're going to train in-clinic assistants to be parent advisors. So we're drawing up a training manual for them. Um, which they can then use to talk to either new parents with, you know, early stage of clubfoot, how they're going to deal with the casting phase or dealing with the bracing phase because it fits into two different um, components. And okay. it's a lot to get your head around when you're dealing with a newborn and now you've got other things to add on to it. Mm. So people
1: can really access you nationally. Yes. Okay. And, yes. and how can they do that?
2: Well, we've got our website mm. which is www.steps.com. Mm dot za, okay. and then you can also call us in Cape Town. It's 021 422 3471, okay. and um, we can also advise which clinics are closest to you. You know, because not every clinic has a clubfoot clinic. Not every hospital has one, and it's best to get. Um, that was another thing: is it's best to get treated as, as early as possible within the first two weeks of life is actually advisable because the baby's feet are so stretchy and supple even though the bones are quite stiff and even in a club foot that you get very fast results when you get older children that are referred late it can be more challenging
1: Mm -hmm. to straighten the foot so if you're worried you definitely just got to go and seek some advice and get some information
2: i would recommend Mm -hmm. to do that because i've I've been to quite a lot of club foot clinics where people are are referred and they don't have club foot but the doctors are happy that at least they've been referred so that they can
1: rule it out rather than pick it up months later absolutely Mm. karen thank you so much for coming to studio and for sharing Thanks. I'm going to give out the website again for people who can get in touch with you and best of luck for your travels coming up thank well. you very much thank you for having me well that's uh, Corin Moss she is founder and director of Steps Charity and if you've got any questions if you want to get in touch with her it's steps.org.za steps.org.za or you can phone 021-422-3471 that's 21 422 and we'll put all that information up on our Facebook page which is otherwise on SAFM thank you very much well uh, creativity coach and thinking practitioner moving on into the last bit of otherwise today Hilda Gertzer has teamed up with local musician Tina Skow to host voice and song workshops here in Cape Town Hilda welcome.
0: hello Kim
1: thank you firstly creativity coach and thinking practitioner <laughs> Can you give me a bit of insight into, into your title?
0: Of course, yes. Um, it's more like I'm um, encouraging you to ex- to be curious about yourself again, about your life, maybe things that intrigued you when you were young. Um, maybe you had a bug collection, and at some point in your life you decided that that was something childish and you no longer explored, you stopped singing perhaps, Um You stopped dancing. You became a serious adult. And what I do is I encourage you to reconnect with that part of yourself that's playful. And I'm a thinking environment coach, so I help you. I provide a space in which you can do your best thinking. Okay.
1: So this um, voice and song uh, workshop that you're doing with Tina Skow, what's on offer? What what can people expect from, from that workshop?
0: Well, people can expect a very playful imaginative, intuitive, allowing space. And um, yeah, my voice is a little bit affected by this chest condition that I have currently. But yeah. Oh <laughs> it's a safe yeah. space. It's, it's so cold out there in Cape Town, yes. Yep. And so it's a safe space in which you can come to explore your voice. It's a very playful space. Um, and it's a space for people, well, anybody really, but especially if you've been silenced and if you feel you've been silenced. For a long time And it's time to uh, um, You know To express yourself again Mm. To make your voice heard And perhaps you want to sing again And you haven't sung in a long time And you want to take that risk To just Be playful with your voice again And so the workshop offers An opportunity to do that So you'll come and you'll Be bouncing around with us a little bit And uh, we do a lot of voice warm-ups to get you into that space of making a sound, you know, because sometimes it's, it's difficult mm-hmm. to just produce a sound. And um, basically we, we guide you through a process in which you explore different sounds. Um, and it doesn't have to be a sound that's acceptable or nice or beautiful. It can be anything really. You can be croaky and <laughs> whispery and nervy. Um, yeah, so that's what we do. Okay. All right, well, we're speaking to
1: Hilda Gretz. Um She's uh, hosting a voice and song workshop here in Cape Town. We're going to find out more about that just after this.